Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'll read it to you. 1 Peter 1 and 1 through 7. The Bible reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. In verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glorify at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That the, that the genuineness of your faith is more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, for just a few moments, I want to talk to you from a very simple subject, the result of tried faith. The result of tried faith. If you would, would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voices? And let's pray and let's ask the Lord to touch his word to our hearts tonight. Lord, we love you. Oh, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for allowing us to be here. And so now we're asking you, Lord, as humble people, asking you to touch our hearts with your word. I'm asking you, Lord, for your anointing, God, to speak. Anoint our ears, God, to hear. Anoint our hearts to receive it now. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Peter said that your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire, it may be found to praise, honor, and glorify Jesus Christ. The New Testament church began in the fire. It was the fire of the Holy Ghost that appeared upon those that were praying in the upper room that gave birth to the church. And following that miraculous outpouring of the Holy Ghost, those miraculous healings and those divine deliverances continued just as Jesus had instructed his apostles. But those miraculous healings and those 
divine deliverances did not happen in the back streets of Jerusalem. They were placed on center stage and they were in the common places and they were in front of the very opposition that sought to extinguish their flames. We read in Acts chapter 4 one such occurrence, the aftermath of the lame man that was healed at the gate called Beautiful. The religious elite, the Sanhedrin, accosted and detained Peter and John, questioning them about this notable, miraculous event. Now, these were uncharted waters, even for the Sanhedrin. Arresting someone for the underlying crime of healing someone would be a public relations nightmare. The elders, the rulers, they wrestle with these facts, and they wrestle with the facts of the case and the potential of losing political and religious control with further miracles. What would they to do? What could they do? They didn't know what to do, but the Bible says they understood something. In Acts chapter 4 and 13, we read, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And so the council decided to give them a very stern warning and let them go. But Peter and John certainly didn't make it any easier for them, for they told them that and commanded them the Bible says in chapter 18, not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Paul, I'm sorry, Peter and John continued to state emphatically to them that they had a mandate upon their life that was given to them to preach and to teach the things that they had seen and heard. And so Peter and John quickly returned to tell the story of what had happened to them to the rest of the apostles and the disciples. They retold that story in explicit detail. They detailed the healing and they detailed the arrest, no doubt re recounting the warning that had been given to them, the threats given to them by the Sanhedrin. But hear me tonight, that's not what's significant about this story. What is significant about all of this is the reaction and the subsequent choices that was made by the church. What would happen then is what would characterize us here even tonight. Fear could have arrested them and trepidation could have halted them and the wind and the air could have most undoubtedly been have let out of their sails deflating every ounce of dry that they had for their future. But I'm thankful tonight that the church didn't creep back in into obscurity but the church chose to pray. The church chose to pray and instead of filling themselves with fear, the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire and with faith. They prayed and the word says that the room was shaken where they were, that the, the ground began to shake where they were and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now I have no doubt in my mind that it was the bold faith of Peter and John given to them even in the midst of the adversity that became contagious. Isn't that a hot word right now? It became contagious to them and it quickly ignited a firestorm of faith for every 
believer. And through this, a spirit of unity came upon this small group. A move of God came upon this small group that caused them to sacrifice of their own personal possessions again for the good of the whole. And so when they were faced with fear, the disciples chose to place their trust in God. When their faith was tested, they chose to stand for what they believed in even though there was opposition coming for them. Jude said this faith was so important that it was worth standing for, that it was worth contending for, it is worth fighting for. And so the disciples, the church, they chose to display their bold faith and it became, it became contagious to those around us. And so let me just give you a little bit of a hint of where we're going. The result of tired, tried and tested faith is contagious faith. If we will display bold faith, even in the midst of adversity, it can be contagious. You see, it's very, it's very important that we display our faith. We do this by facing our fears. It, it takes courage to face fears. The courage that it takes to face our own fears, it can resonate with those around us. Because everyone, whether we want to admit it or not, we're all facing something. We either have, we are, or we will face fears in our life. And so the fuel for that faith that's found in knowing, aren't you thankful that we're not trying to do this on our own? Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us together. Can I tell you tonight, we, we know, I know I'm talking to people that know the power is not some external force that, that we're hoping that we can find someday, but with the infilling of the Holy Ghost, we know that that power is ever-present. It's ever-present, and it's there when we need it, and it can do more than you or I can even fathom. And I'll go a step further. When it's exercised, it becomes contagious. And so tonight, let's take a few looks at a few principles Biblical principles that will help us guide our, our walk with God into having that bold, contagious faith. First and foremost is the principle of information. Proverbs 13 and 16, the Bible reads, Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth open his folly. Another, another version of that reads, Every prudent man acts with knowledge. And so faith Faith is not ignoring the facts. Faith, faith is not, if I can say it like this, faith is not folly. And faith is not foolishness. Faith, faith is not headstrong. And faith isn't ignorant. Faith is not based on idealism. Faith is not based on naivety. It's, it's based on knowing. It's based on knowing and moving forward because the belief is stronger than the fear. If we look at that great acts of faith in the Bible, David slaying Goliath, Daniel surviving the lion's den, or even Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, none of these miracles were based on ignoring the facts. None of these individuals were oblivious to their surroundings. They, they didn't act without knowledge. They, they, they didn't act uh, without knowledge. They act despite the knowledge. You see, no one has better insight than Jesus himself. 
No one has more wisdom and more knowledge than anybody that ever walked the face of the earth. He knows every intricate detail to every life. The Bible says that he's numbered the hairs on our head. He didn't have to number very many on mine. Somebody smile at me. He's numbered the very hairs on our head, so he's got more knowledge than anybody that ever walked the planet. Yet God continues to work in the realm of the supernatural and the miraculous. And so we can't be afraid of the information that is in front of us, but we also can ill afford to ignore that information either. And so that brings us to our second principle, and that is the principle of evaluation. There is nothing unscriptural. There is absolutely nothing inherently unspiritual about weighing the pros and the cons. For instance, Luke 14 and 28, this is Jesus. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 to meet him who is coming against him with 20,000. And so it's important to count the cost. Can I tell you tonight that everything that we're enjoying here tonight came with a price tag. Everything that we are founded on here in this house tonight, it came at great cost, but I am thankful that there are men and women that have come before us that sat down and they evaluated and they weighed the balances and they found that it was a cost worth paying. I was able to come to an altar of repentance because people counted the cost and found it a cost worth paying. And so what we have here tonight, what we are enjoying here tonight came with a great cost, but what we have set before us, which is a great commission, is great, and it is set before us, and it must be accomplished, and it will be costly to contend for this faith. But can I tell you tonight, just like it was worth it all for them, if we'll just put our nose to the grindstone and do what God has called us to do, it will be worth it it all. It will be a price worth paying. And if we believe in the right things, and if we place our lives and our hearts toward the right things, it will become contagious to those around us, and it will help to increase the faith of those around us. But we must be prepared. It's the principle of preparation. Some falsely believe that faith is somehow exercised when emotion trumps logic or that somehow faith is some knee-jerk reaction to a feeling that's not based in careful planning. But I submit to you tonight that faith is not that. It's exactly the opposite. Faith is not knee-jerk. We just read it. Sit down. Count the cost. Evaluate. And so we must be prepared and we must prepare. The Bible says of Noah that he believed and prepared an ark to the saving 
of his family. He believed what God had told him. He believed the word of God. He believed the promises of God. But he would not have shown his belief in that had he not followed through with it. So he followed through with it. But hear me, the finished product did not happen overnight. Now, we can read that story in just a few moments, and it seems like, man, that ark was built in record time. But it didn't. It took a lifetime. It took a lifetime. And so that's where I believe that we can become frustrated when it comes to our faith. Because the result of our faith, it isn't always instant. You see, faith isn't instant, but we live in a world of instant gratification. But sin and lust, that's what, that's what resonates in that realm. That instant gratification, give it to me now, I want it now, I don't have to wait for it, I don't want to wait in line for anything, I want it right now. But faith, faith is not right now. Faith is the opposite. Faith is patient. Faith is persistent. You see, faith sees the big picture because faith is based on careful planning that reinforces the decision to believe and then it acts on that belief both meticulously and consistently. Can I tell you tonight that that kind of faith is not just a one-time occurrence. That kind of faith isn't a leap year. It doesn't just show up every once in a while or every four years. It's not, it's not isolated. It's not a comet that shows up that we can go out in awe and be in awe for just every once in a while maybe twice in a lifetime, but can I tell you tonight that that kind of faith is lived out day after day after day. That kind of faith becomes a lifestyle, and that kind of faith is what reaches out to the world around it, and it pulls it in to it. When others see what you have walked through, when others see what you have had to fight through, yet you've sat down and you've made up your mind, you've weighed the balances and you've counted the costs, and you just continue to walk by Faith. I submit to you tonight that that is contagious faith and that is faith that others can find strength in. That's faith that others can see and that's faith that others can find hope in. It's the faith that said, no matter what, I sat down a long time ago. I sat down with my family and I was like Joshua. I said, as for me and my house, come what may, it doesn't matter if the mountain I have to climb or a valley that I have to walk through. I'm going to serve God and I'm going to do it no matter what. It's that kind of faith that declares to the world around it. It's that kind of faith that cries out, that says, I am going to do what God has called me to do. It's the principle of declaration. The Lord, he told his disciples that they needed to have a faith that would cause them to speak to their mountains. They asked him in Matthew chapter 17, why couldn't we cast him out, Lord? He said, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say unto you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Hear me tonight. Unbelief causes us to fear, but faith facilitates the miraculous power of God in our life. But there are principles that we must adhere to. He goes on to say, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so hear me, faithful obedience to the principles of God will produce what God intends for it to produce in due season. It will get the desired result. Jesus said, speak to the mountain. 
and it's got to obey. He didn't say when. You see, for faith, for faith to be bold, faith's got to be consistent. It's got to be persistent, and it must be spoken. Spoken faith not only reinforces our own resolve, but it also ignites a fire in others. Can I say it again? It becomes contagious. And so that is why it is so absolutely important that we refrain from speaking negativity in our lives and in the lives of others. I'm not talking about name it and claim it, blab it and grab it and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. But I'm telling you that we can so talk ourselves out of so much that God wants us to have just by talking negativity in our lives. Because conversely, that also becomes contagious and it can breed a cancer that can take away the promises of God and so we cannot afford to speak negativity and then wonder why us and everyone around us is so fearful but we got to speak can I say it like this we've got to pray and we've got to speak to the mountains and we've got to pray the promises of God and in us and in our families and in everyone around us when we do that it will build the courage and the faith that we need to get through everything that we come into contact with faith is not merely a knowledge faith is not merely a mental ascent it's not simply knowledge all by itself but faith is carried out faith must be action and that is the principle of initiation and so we can plan and we can pray and we can have knowledge and we can declare but many times we fail to reap what God really wants us to reap and that's because we fail hear me now we fail to initiate it's something that's really programmed into our society if you think about it it's the smart home concept. Perhaps you've heard of it. I've looked into it. I want one. Smart homes. They do everything for you. They got a little vacuum cleaner that sits off in the corner. You program it, it vacuums your floor. You don't have to, you don't have to get up. You don't have to push a vacuum cleaner. That's, that's, that's a thing of the past. They got smart lights now. Used to, you had to program with your phone. Now you can just program. It knows when you come in the room, the lights just come on. They got it to where your phone is like a hub, and so when you pull up in your driveway, your doors can unlock, your air conditioner can come on, and your lights can come on. Welcome home. Isn't that cool? Some people's looking at me like I'm crazy. It's a real thing. But that, that concept, that smart home concept, smart vacuum, smart lights, smart locks, open the door, you just walk in, no fuss, no care. We carry that over into our spiritual life. And so we want God to open the door while we just walk through. No fuss, no problem, no issues, everything's fine and dandy. He just opens the door. We walk through him. But that's not biblical because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. He always puts us in the proactive position. And so we must initiate. God says, if you will, then I will. It's not the other way around. If you will, then I will. If you'll step out, then I'll back you up because it's my word and I said that I would. And so if he's giving you a promise tonight, can I tell you, if you'll just step out in faith, God will back you up. He will follow you. 
And so before the children of Israel could go into their promised land, God said, the priest's feet must step in first. Then I'll abate the waters. I did it for you before when you were coming. The enemy was on your tail. They were hot on your tail. And so Moses, he just stretched his rod over the, over the sea. And I abated the waters and I got you through. But now you're walking into a promise. You're walking into something that you didn't deserve in the first place. And I've got to know that you're ready and that you're willing to do what I've called you to do. And so as soon as the feet of the priest stepped in, the rest of the children then could pass through on dry ground and so I'll say it again if we'll just step into our miracle others will join if you'll just step into what God has called you to do he'll equip you if you'll just step into what God is asking you to do he will back you up fear, fear lives in the land of passivity but fear struggles to stay alive with people of action faith Faith thrives in people of active obedience to the word of God. And when it is bold and when it is exercised, it becomes contagious. Jesus never, ever, ever attended a funeral, but he raised three people from the dead. Jairus' daughter, we heard about that Sunday. Lazarus and the widow's son from Nain. They were all relatively young people. In Mark chapter 5, when he raised Jairus' daughter, he did three things. He first... Asked everyone why they were crying, why they were mourning, telling them that the girl was not dead, but she was sleeping. He surveyed the room. He saw the unbelief, and he saw the ones that were ready to see the miracle. And the, the next thing he did was he pushed all of those ones out that, that, that would hinder the, the, the working of faith in the room. And Jesus didn't pray for the girl. He simply spoke to the problem. He said, girl, arise, child, arise. And the Bible says that breath came back into her, and he said, give her something to eat. The child is alive and so in that moment Jesus offered up to his inner circle the people who were in 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 this we're in this for the long haul Peter said where else are we going to go Lord we can't walk away from this we're in this for the long haul so he invited Peter James and John and so is it any wonder that later when Peter prayed for a young lady by the name of Dorcas who had died he operated in the same faith and in the same way that Jesus had they called Peter why because he had been with Jesus. What Jesus displayed in that, that closed little room became a part of, of Peter's DNA and there had been a building of faith. There had been a transfer of faith and from that experience with Jesus, he too had contagious faith. Can I tell you tonight, those people who are willing to get along with God and who are willing to get along with Jesus in that closed off space, those are the people who will make a difference in the lives of other. And when it is exercised, that faith spreads to everything around it without when it is burned in the company of a few. It's a principle. It's a principle that we see time and time again in the New Testament. The upper room spilled into the streets and 3,000 souls were added to the church. The healing of the man at the gate that we just read, it spilled in the streets and the gospel was preached and 5,000 people believed. And in Acts chapter 8 when the church was persecuted, the Bible says that they went everywhere preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria. He preached Christ to them and the Bible says that the people with one accord gave heed. Hearing and seeing miracles and many were healed and there was great joy in that city. Hear me tonight. What we're doing here tonight is not arbitrary. What we're doing here tonight is we are, we are honing our faith and we are pooling our faith together and so when we go out into this world we can affect others. 
there can be joy in this city because of your faith. And so we must, we must exercise our faith. Let's lift our hands for just a moment. Would you do that? Would you lift your hands? Would you ask the Lord to touch your mind, your heart, your soul? God, we need you right now. We need your power. We need your word, God, to be revealed right now. Give us understanding of your word. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. What we're doing here tonight, it is an arbitrary. It's not ritualistic. It's not something that we just had nothing else to do, and so we just showed up here to pass the time. But we are here to do what Jesus said, to lift him up. We are here to lift him up by exercising our faith because our faith, when we lift him up, when we lift him up, the faith of non-believers is then increased. We lift him up in three ways. We do it through our faith, we do it through our joy, and through our worship. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And so each time we lift up the Lord, the faith in others is increased. When we lift him up in word, when we lift him up in faith, when we lift him up in joy and in worship, hear me now, no matter the circumstances that are surrounding my worship, no matter what's going on out there or what's going on tomorrow or what went on yesterday or, or today at work, when I lift him up with my joy and with my faith and with my worship, no matter the circumstances in my life, it becomes a form of praise that can spread to everything around it. It becomes contagious. And it is done. It definitely becomes contagious when it is done in, in the midst of adverse conditions. Oh yes. Oh yes. See, we don't like we don't like this, but adversity creates an environment that makes strong faith spread to others. It wouldn't be faith if it didn't. Paul and Silas in Philippi used adversity to bring revival by displaying their faith in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas sang and they worshiped even though they were hurting, even though they had been beaten unmercifully for nothing, for 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 not even petty crimes. They were beaten and they were thrown into the inner part of the jail. But that Bible says at midnight when they sang and when they praised God right in the middle of the jail. Can I tell you that they were right in the will of God when they were doing that? They were right straight smack dab in the will of God when they were placed in that jail. But when they sang and when they prayed unto God at midnight, the Bible says that the entire jail was shaken by an earthquake and every cell block, every door, and every chain was loosed. But hear me, Paul and Silas did not immediately run to safety. That blows my mind. They stayed there long enough. Their faith got them there. But hear me tonight, their faith, their faith kept them there long enough for a man to come in trembling and say, Sirs, what shall I do? And from that, an entire household was saved and received salvation. Hear me tonight. Paul and Silas sang even in the midst of their adversity, and their faith was contagious. Paul shipwrecked on the island of Melita. He stood for his faith in the middle of a storm 
and an entire ship was saved arrested for preaching the gospel Roman authorities transporting him and other prisoners across the Mediterranean Sea to a prison Paul took a leadership role by telling them and everyone on the ship that they would be saved if they remained on the boat he said and now I urge you take heart for there will be no loss of life among you but only the ship for there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve saying do not be a Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all that you who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. It will be just as it was told me. And so the faith of Paul, even in the midst of uncertainty, it, it encouraged others. And although they did lose that ship in the storm, every single one of those people on board were able to get to a small island in which is known today as, as Malta. And even, even, hear me now, even, it's not over with. You would think everything's fine. We got to the island. Everything's alright. We can take a breath but even even on the island Paul's faith extended to those around him as they gathered firewood you know the story he was bitten by a viper and the natives knew that he was just a gone man he was a dead man walking he was doomed but Paul didn't die in fact he didn't even get sick and so they thought he might be a god and so they began to bring their young and they're sick to him and the Bible says that he healed he laid hands on them and they were healed they were all healed and so Paul's faith even even in the midst of adversity and two very distinct and very tumultuous times in his life changed the opinions of two very distinct, very different, very different sets of people. And so if you don't hear anything else that I say here tonight, hear this, where God has you right now, where God has us right now and our reaction to it, our steadfast trust in God, your steadfast trust in God and to his word, it has the ability to change the hearts and the minds of people around you about you and your God. The fact that you might be walking through a very difficult part of your life right now, but but you've made up in your mind that you're not going to bail out of the ship. You might, be, you might be walking through a very, very dark valley right now, but you're not going to turn around and run, maybe seemingly like others have. That has the power to change the minds of people around you. Yeah, you might be walking through a valley. Your vessel might be taking on a little water. The winds and the waves might be contrary and crashing against you, but because you've made up your mind that you're going to stay with the ship, you're just going to keep walking by faith and not by sight I hear me others can benefit from that kind of faith it is the necessity it is the result of tried and tested faith our musicians would come faith without adversity faith without display isn't the way that it was intended to be. The old adage is certainly true, and you've heard it, I'm sure, a myriad of ways. You can't have a miracle without a mess. No trial, no triumph. You can't have deliverance without first having something to be delivered from. And that can become very cliche to us. 
but it is absolutely the truth. You can't have a miracle without a mess. You cannot display your faith totally just by going to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. There's going to be some things that we got to walk through. There's going to be some things that we've got to go through. You see, standing for what you believe in cannot and must not be done in isolation. Because the faith shown in one person can bring about change in another. And the faith shown in one person can be absolutely replicated in others. First Peter, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter said, if you'll just hold on, it's going to be worth it all. If you'll just stand, if you'll just keep walking, it's going to be worth it all. See, contending for the faith and protecting this faith is, is acting in faith and allowing that faith to stir the gift in others. It happened in a house. A young African-American minister, William Seymour, was attending a Christian training mission in Houston in 1905. In those meetings, he met Neely Terry, a young woman who was part of a group that founded a black church in Los Angeles affiliated with the Church of the Nazarene. The group had been expelled from the Baptist church when they began teaching holiness and sanctification. She was impressed with Seymour's sincerity and convinced her church leaders to invite him to come to Los Angeles and minister in their church. He considered the invitation to be a call from God and arrived in California in February of 1906. He was subsequently asked to preach in the church, which was led by Julia Hutchins. As yet, he had not personally received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, but he was convinced that it was scriptural. So when Seymour took the pulpit, he chose Acts 2 and 4 for his text. In the message, he conveyed his conviction that anyone who has not spoken in tongues does not have the Holy Spirit. This didn't sit well with the starchier Nazarene type, so they gave him the boot and actually padlocked the door of the church against his return. The more open-minded individuals in the congregation opened their homes to him for house meetings. One of these was the Asbury family living at 214 Bonnie Bray Street. Perhaps you'd know that address. That little house became the focal point 
of the Pentecostal outpouring, tagged by many as the initial thunderstorm of the biblical latter rain. It was in that house on Bonnie Bray Street that Seymour and others received the Holy Ghost. That powerful prayer meeting, those meetings were powerful, and soon hundreds were attracted to that meeting, filling the home and overflowing onto the porch and the yard, the porch actually collapsing under the weight of the crowd trying to participate in the prayer services. Police had to cordon off the streets where the house was because of the crowds that had gathered on foot, horseback, and in carriages trying to get to the house where God was moving. But hear this. Even Julia Hutchins, the Nazarene leader who had locked Seymour out of her church, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and became a missionary to Liberia. And so as you'll stand with me tonight, I end with this. Brother Seymour could have gotten frustrated. He could have gotten discouraged. He could have said, you know what? This ain't worth it. That's not what he did. How, how hard would it have been to be locked out? But yet he kept persevering on. And because of that, an entire city, that eventually had to be moved to what is now known as Azusa Street. I doubt that we might not even be here tonight if it wasn't for men and women like that who had contagious faith, even in the midst of adversity. And so I end with these comments. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Over the past few months, faith has been tested. And not only a few. Over the past few months, there has been some scattering. Scattering of bodies. Scattering of churches. And dare I say, scattering of minds. Peter said to all that are scattered, you're going to go through some trials. You're going to go through some hard circumstances. But hear me, keep at it. Because your faith is more precious than gold. And when it is tried and when it is tested, it will be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so for something to be genuine and for something to be found to be genuine, sometimes it must be challenged. Now, I understand that Peter is ultimately referring to the, the culmination of time when Jesus returns for his church, but I also believe that Jesus can be revealed in us right now and in this season. Refining, challenging, and testing always reveal what is underneath the surface, and I believe that with my whole heart that God is setting us up and he is preparing his people for the greatest outpouring and harvest that we have ever seen in our day. But we must be prepared and we must have 
bold, contagious faith it is. That faith, it is the contending for that faith and the standing for that faith. It is what will bring revival to the world. Can I tell you tonight that this gospel was not meant to be hidden. And the truth of God's word was not meant to transpire or transact in the recesses of society. We are not a closed secret organization formed to care for the needs of just a select few. But we are the children of the most high God. And we are what he said we are. We are a city that is set on a hill to bring light and to bring truth to this sin-soaked dark world that is absent of joy and so the trying of your faith don't be discouraged the trying of your faith it has a purpose the trying of your faith will reveal the faithfulness of Jesus Christ himself and so as we lift our hands tonight I tell this people and I tell this church and I tell us as individuals keep living keep walking keep believing keep pressing keep having faith keep Keep doing what God has called you to do and let's let our faith join together with the ones around us to bring a hope and a future to this world in Jesus' name. Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voice and would you rejoice in the power, in the presence of God in this place tonight. We love you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. And we believe your word. We believe your word is true, oh God. And we stand on your word here tonight. Baptize us again, oh God, with a fresh fire and with a fresh faith so that we can do what you've called us to do in Jesus, in Jesus' name. Come on. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.